So today we've got an interesting guest, customer of Legendary Motor Car. Ernie Bach Jr. is an American billionaire, former CEO of Bach Enterprises, a prominent Trump supporter, and a serious philanthropist. He's got an interesting life story. You guys are going to enjoy this one. So, uh, yeah, no, I appreciate you coming up and sitting down and yeah, taking the time. Yeah, thank yeah, you. Good. I, it's good. It's beautiful up here. I love Canada. Of course. That's good. That's good. So I want to... Um, I want to start at the beginning of your kind of family story here. I've been doing a little bit of homework, and uh, I watched some awesome, awesome vintage car commercials. Oh. They're great. Yeah. <laughs> so, what? Tell me how. Your, was it your grandfather who started? My grandfather it? started. My grandfather started the company officially in 1938. Wow. He um, he came over. He was uh, second generation Italian. Okay. Off the boat. When I was a kid, we had my great grandfather around who we were petrified of. All the kids were absolutely petrified of him. Sure. I mean, I think I only remember seeing him stand up once or twice, you know, he was wow. always in a chair doing something. But my grandfather started working at uh, Boston Cadillac okay. in, in Boston, Massachusetts. Now I live, I live about 17 miles south of Boston. Okay. But back then, 17 miles south in the, in the uh, 20s and 30s that was that was a long way mm -hmm. 17 miles so my father started working for boston cadillac he was always a tinkerer and one thing led to another and he was he, he, he got an official job and on the weekends he used to fix the neighbor's cars and my grandmother used to shag the uh parts and stuff like that and then the, then the business in the garage became so much that he, he quit boston cadillac and did a full-time full-time uh, repair at the garage okay and and then that became popular and they bought a gas station on route one now route one in in the united states goes from maine to florida right and it's there's also one a so one a is a small road one being the medium road 95 being the major highway so he he built a building in 1938 a gas station and it just kind of went from there so he ended up. Um, how many how many dealerships did he own? Was it dealerships that he got into? Well, what did happened? He buy into those. What happened was is is he had a gas station, gas right. and repair. Right. And yeah, I might get the years wrong, but we get, yeah, we get, yeah, we, you know, somewhere somewhere in the late forties, early fifties. Uh, the bookkeeper stole $10,000 from my grandfather. Jeez. Yes. And, and back then, $10,000 was a lot of money. And he went everywhere trying to get the money. Nobody would give him the money. Right. And uh, my father used to used to pump gas. Mm. And, you know, th th this is going to sound like a made-up story, but this is a real story. My father was uh, pumping gas. They were ready to close at the end of the month, didn't have the dough. Right. And some guy pulled up and said, why do you look so glum? And and my father said, well, we get stolen. This is the banks won't give me money. And and the gentleman right there said, why don't you come see me tomorrow? And it was Dominic Sansone from New England Merchant Bank, vice president at New England Merchant Bank. My father went in and he gave him the money. Wow. And, and, and my father and, and Dominic were best friends till Dominic died. You know, went, went, before, yeah, went before my father. Okay. And uh, that's, what, that's really what, what took off. And then again, 
while my father was pumping gas, a gentleman pulled up and said, hey, this place looks good. Uh, how'd you like to sell Nash's? Mm, you know, okay. Nash. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Nash. Yeah, so people nowadays might not know what a Nash right. is. Nash, yeah. Nash, Rambler, American Motors, yeah. Chrysler. Yeah. You know, they technically they own Ferrari. Right, you know? right. So, so the gentleman said, you can, you know, you'll probably, you'll probably sell 10 cars a year. And, and my father did it. He, he worked with, with uh, my grandfather. And my father's brother was in the back of the house. Okay. My, my father was in the front of the house. And by the mid to late 50s, we were the number one Nash dealer in the country, 5,000 a year. Wow. Yeah, 5,000 a year. So from that, from Nash, it went to, I think we went Nash, um, American Motors, and then Dodge, mm. and then we got Oldsmobile, Toyota. In 1971, we picked up Toyota, Oldsmobile, and the distribution for Subaru through the six states of New England with a perpetual contract from the Japanese. Interesting. Yeah. So you guys got a piece of every Subaru in New England? Right. Okay. What happened was... Dominic called him up mm. and said, hey, Ernie, there's a gentleman that's importing Sabo. You know, could barely pronounce the name right. back then. And, and he wants money. And, and I don't know. Any, will you look at it and see? Okay. And, and the guy wanted $25,000. And my father said, said, I like it. I'll, I'll go into business with the guy. Mm. So he went into business with this gentleman. And... Uh, started started visiting dealers throughout New England and soon found that this gentleman went to Saab dealers for some reason and had them uh, uh, duel with Subaru. Okay. And he went into the dealerships and the Subaru's way in back, like way in back, you know, ba barely even selling them. Mm. And that's when we decided and implemented uh, no duels, single point dealers. And right. to this day, New England is the only region in the world where it's all single point Subaru, even Japan doesn't have single point. And the country is about right now, they've been doing it for 20 years. They're about 80% non-dueled. Wow. But still they have duels. Interesting. Yeah. Interesting. So I read, uh, I've been reading, reading about you online a little bit, what I can find here and there. And I, I, there was this article saying that, um, well, I guess let me back that up a little bit. So you went to, was it high school or college for music? I went to Berkeley College of Music for, high, for college, yeah. Right, right. And after that, what was the goal there? Did you, it, it, this article anyways, stated that you kind of wanted to, you joined a band and you were on, the, on tour? Well, well <laughs> is that, is that? here's how it is, okay. I mean, I graduated high school in 1976, okay? okay. The 70s were... You know, if you didn't grow up in the 70s, they were crazy. When right. I when I when I graduated, interest rate prime was 21 percent. Yeah, 21 percent. And you know, Woodstock just happened. You know, as a kid and everything. And you know, I I used to play guitar, and mm -hmm. I and you know that actually Woodstock changed my life. It really did. It really you know I I I had never seen that much gathering of of. You know, I was too young to be a hippie. Wood, I was right. ten when Woodstock 
happen. You didn't, you didn't go to Woodstock. No, no, but no, just no. The being in that no, area, just 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 seeing it on TV and sure. reading Crawdad and Rolling Stone and everything like that. I just I thought it was amazing, and I really. And then the record came out, and I listened to it nonstop. And, yeah. And then you know I wanted to um, I wanted to play. You know I had been in bands in high school and stuff. Never really any good bands. And when it was time to go to college, I gra- I I applied for one school and it was berkeley and they they took me okay which you know i was shocked right and almost the second i got there i said holy shit i mean these are some of the best players in the world to this day in the world they 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 take less than 30 percent of the people that apply right now right but back in the 70s they were taking anybody okay which was me <laughs> so i went there quickly learned that that's a, it's going to be tough it's going to be tough so i i gave it a i gave it a go i actually toured canada in some disco band really yeah and uh and you know it just wasn't going well and um it just wasn't going well and i got into debt Oh, okay. okay. I got into debt and it was, and I hate debt to this day. I have no debt. Right. Hate, hate, hate debt. Yep. And I went to my father and I said, listen, you know, and this, this is probably, mm, I don't know, mm, almost 1980. You okay. Know, almost How now. old are you at the time? Like after, it's well, after college? Yeah. Yeah. I was, I was 20 and 78. So. So, you know, it's yeah, 22, 23, Got something it. like that. And, yep. you know, I was playing on the streets of Boston. We were making 40 to 60 bucks a day thinking, you know, that was a lot of money. Yeah. So I went to him and I said, listen, it's, it's not going well. I, I owed, the, I owed uh, AT&T before they broke up. Uh. Before they, 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 they broke up, uh, I owed them money and this and that. And I, and I went to him and I said, listen. I, I'm in debt, and uh, I'd like to I'd like to get a job until I get out of debt. And you know, will you give me a job? And he said, "Well, how much do you owe?" Mm. And at the time, to me, it was all the money in, in the world. I owed six hundred dollars. Right. I owed six hundred dollars, and he said, "All right, I'll, I'll make a deal with you. I'll give you money to buy a suit, and then." in your you know while you're selling cars you can pay me back okay well i mean i went from making 150 dollars a week to 1500 a week in a week wow i just like a fish to water it was just amazing as a, as a salesman yeah as a salesman right. and it was exciting i mean i made every mistake in the world but what i did do is I was there bell to bell. Mm. I just, you know, I have somewhat of a, you know, I look like I do drugs, but I don't do drugs anymore. But I have an addictive tendency, you know what right. I mean? Like when I was playing guitar, it was all in. When I was selling cars, it was all in. So I really, it really kind of started from there. And then, you know, and that's, I joined the company and well, put a tie on. Because I used to work, when I used to get suspended from school, uh. he would make me, work at the dealership. So it was the punishment. Yeah, as okay. the punishment, he would make me work at the dealership. And what, what were you getting suspended from school for? Uh, it was the 70s. <laughs> it was the 70s. You know, people forget that, that, that in the 70s, you could, you could, you, you, there was Panama red. I mean, it was red. There was uh, Jamaican dirtweed. It was like brown. There was Sensamia, which was like bright green. There was Acapulco gold. It was literally gold. I mean, pot was amazing back then, you know? So so, so smoking weed in high school. Smoking weed in high school, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Sex, drugs, and rock and yeah. roll. Yeah, 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 yeah. Right. So 
now you're working you're working full time at the dealership and you're doing well. Well, when you're not high school, but yeah, what yeah. happened was is I I started selling cars in the in the 80s and then then right in the late 80s um, early 90s my father said uh, will you run the Oldsmobile store? Hmm. And you know, I didn't really you know, running the Oldsmobile store did not excite me. Running any store didn't excite me because I got there. I didn't have to I didn't have to open up. I didn't have to close. I just went there, made money, um, dated customers. You know what I mean? <laughs> I mean, I was like in a, my own little whatever, fiefdom. Yep. And I didn't really want to, I didn't really want to be a manager. All the managers were miserable getting yelled at at meetings and stuff. I have no way was I going to do that. And he just kind of started tossing money at me saying, will you do it for this? Will you do it for this? And then he got me. He right. got me and I, and I went to uh, Oldsmobile. I went all, I think, I went all the way up to 96, I think, was the last year of Oldsmobile, 1996. Okay, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and then, then from there, I, I ran the um, Mitsubishi store. Right. We had Mitsubishi, and then I got fired. I got fired from Mitsubishi. Oh, by who? By the old man. I got okay. fired by the old man. I probably deserved getting what fired. What happened there? Oh, just... just, you know, I mean, I wasn't, you know, I didn't really... I wasn't trained. Everything I learned was, was, you know, and it wasn't like he took me under his wing. He basically just threw me on the floor and the managers beat the crap out of me and, and taught me. Right. And uh, I got fired from there and then I went to Toyota. Okay. I went to Toyota and killed it. Absolutely killed it. Selling mm. just tremendous. I back, back to a salesperson having again the time of my life. Right. And um, then I was a manager at Toyota and, and you know, and, and this and that. And then we, we had Toyota and then we, Mitsubishi. Then we picked up Kia and then we picked up Honda and <clears throat> my father died in 03. Okay. My father died in 03 and, and I had never really been exposed to the dist distributorship. Just, right. You know, I'd been to Japan as just looking and stuff like that. So I, I jumped in at 03 and um, ran the, the uh, Subaru distributorship and the retail stores. I brought the Honda store to the number one Honda store in the world. Wow. The world. Nobody beat me. Nobody wow. beat me. I've, you know, all those California guys and Texas guys and Florida guys that don't get snow. In New England, sales can change 40% in a, in a month because of snow and everything like that. Yeah. So it did that and I got to Toyota to number two. The only one that beat me was Longo out in California. And then I bought a second Toyota store. I bought a second Honda store. And, um, and then, then I got Ferrari Maserati mm -hmm. in 05 or 06. And, and then, then retail, I just woke up one day and I just didn't want to do retail. So I sold the retail stores. All the I, dealerships. All, saw the body shop, rental, the dealerships, right. everything. I sold except for Ferrari and Maserati because right. I just love the cars. And if, you, if you're a Ferrari dealer and you sell Ferrari, you'll never get another store. You'll right. never get another store. So I kept that. I, so I have the distributorship and Ferrari Maserati. So I went from 1,800 employees to 138. Wow. You know? How many dealerships was it that you sold? Uh, two Toyota, two Honda, um, uh, a big used car, big mm -hmm. used car store, rental, body shop. Sure. Yeah, because okay. I had sold, well, I, d during the course, I had sold Maserati. I, I mean, I had sold Mitsubishi and I had sold Kia. Mm. 
Okay. Yeah. So now you've you've taken a big paycheck to do that, and you're you're kind of fed up with the retail stuff, or you wanted to look well, at others. Well, it's just others. tough. Retail is just so tough. Right. And, and Maserati and Ferrari isn't really retail. It's kind of it's kind of like this place. It's rolling art. You right. know, that's what it is. Right. And and very different, di- very different clientele. You're not very getting sold out for five hundred bucks down the street. Very different yeah. clientele. The 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 tough thing about the the high end clientele, which you can probably relate to, is these guys. Most of these guys are self made millionaires running their own show. Don't like no for an answer. Right. Do not like no. Yeah. So they would come in and they'd want a Ferrari, and I'm you know I I I couldn't get them the Ferrari. So you know I'm I've worked that out to the point where I where the store is very well respected. And, you know, we're doing great things. So these guys come in and they are a little bit on the defense instead of the offense. Right, right, right. So does that give you more free time to look outside running the dealerships at that time when you sell everything? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And did you have a a vision of what you wanted to do with your time? Well, I have a foundation called Music Drives Us, which we try to keep music in the schools. Mm -hmm. And I do... we do um, various events to raise money, and then of course we fund all sorts of projects. Right, and then then I do. You know, I I consider myself a philanthropist. I, you oh, know, absolutely! I'm involved yeah. in a lot of different things. So let's go back to the the music drives. That is music a, drives us. Yeah, yeah, it drives us. Yeah, it's a, that's a massive program. It's it's well, I'm a five hundred one c three in the six states of New England. Right, I, uh, you know, you have to get a you have to get a five hundred one three certificate for every state you're in. So in the so for the six Six states of New England, I have a 501c3. Right. And that is, you know, there's a there's a million ways you can go with charity and philanthropy. Absolutely. And uh, why, why the music? Is it because it was so big in your life? Yeah, because it's so big in my life. And, you know, I, I really, you know, I'm very, very happy. Like, for example, the, the Subaru commercials that are on in New England, I play guitar on them. Cool. You know, and we record them at we record them at my house. You know, with today, look look at us. We're in you know I don't want to say a back room, but you know we're not in some big giant studio. Yeah, and and you can easily do that. So my friend my friend writes them. I might change a chord here or there. Sure, but do we do that? We record them. And then, uh, so I've integrated, I've integrated my love for music into the business. And then with music drives us. I mean, I had cheap trick playing at my house in November to raise money for Music Drives Us. Cool. So not only did we raise money, but, you know, cheap trick. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. (laughs) Yeah. So specifically, are you guys uh, buying a lot of instruments and and giving them to schools? Oh, absolutely. Right before the pandemic, we did the, we gave 750 ukuleles to the Boston School um, system, whatever they call it. And I don't know what it's like in Canada, but in the United States around second or third grade, you, you, you had to take the recorder. Uh, Did you guys have to do that? Yes. yes. We had to dip it in mouthwash. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. (laughs) All right. Well, that's changing because now instead of the recorder, they're doing the uke. Okay. So because it came from, you know, when the family is together, oh, Johnny's taking music and he pulls out the recorder and people run, you uh, know, but now he pulls out the ukulele and it's like, woo, this is cool. Right. Yeah. Okay. I got yeah. it. I got it. So, yeah, I mean, you're, you're clearly a super generous guy uh, and really a philanthropist. 
you know, you see, I'm, again, looking up articles online and you see Ernie Bach Jr. gives massive tip at this restaurant, yeah. massive tip at this restaurant. What, what guides you in your philanthropy? I, I just see a need. And, and speaking of that, this, I'm not saying everything isn't true okay. on the online, internet, but yeah. if you really want to get an idea of, you know, what I'm like that isn't, you know, because I take a lot of shit for a lot of things. If you if you Google Ernie Bach Jr. slash Uganda. Yes, I've got that in my notes. Uganda, Don't worry, we're going to go to it. That is good. That yeah. kind of sums me up a lot better than, you know, Wikipedia. Sure. And I so I watched that episode uh, the other day. The, Uganda, the Nat Geo show? Yeah. yeah. Uh, tell me about that. How did that come <sighs> to fruition? How did that come about? Well, I was at, I was at my office and... Uh, I got a call, my, my, my assistant got a call and said, there's some TV producer on the phone wants to talk to you. I go, all right, I'll, I'll call him. And uh, they said, uh, Ernie, we're, um, we're doing a TV show for Nat Geo and we're going around the country and we're looking for, how can we describe this? Successful people that are a little off. <laughs> and I go, that, you, you got the guy, I'm the guy, I'm the guy. And they said, you know, after talking to him, they said, Ernie, we've been to New York, we've been to LA, we've been to this, we've been to that. But this is the only city we went to when we asked who we should talk to. Everybody said you. Right. So one thing led to another between all these meetings and everything. I did a show for Nat Geo. And it was called Undercover Angel. Undercover, kind of like Undercover Boss, except a more international thing. Right. They took, I think it was uh, 12 people. I didn't, I didn't, it, my show was only an hour. Right. You know, but they, so they, so the, what they did is they, they, they dropped you someplace in the world and with with no resources under a fake name and you had to make a difference the greatest guy that ever did that are you familiar with grant cardone uh yes okay they did this yes I know grant they, they dropped grant cardone in pueblo california and in like two days he built a multi-million dollar business i mean it's like the greatest show oh i gotta Plus see he's, that one. he's the greatest guy right with me it was different it was 10 days okay it was 10 days and i you know i i very quickly learned that uganda has a water problem problem just like like a lot of places in africa well let me let me back you up there because they they dump you in a remote village oh yeah and you're staying in, oh, yeah. in you're not staying in a five-star hotel so I, I was, but this wasn't even <laughs> this you could, there were no stars i mean it was a it was it was literally in in um in Wajinja, uganda i was literally the only white guy my my yeah. crew was english so you know they they were they were white also but i was the only white guy no paved roads no running water no electricity um you know you figure oh africa you kill a few animals those animals were gone in like the late 1800s you know no animals the only protein there are, are chickens rabbits goats cows but they're privately owned so it's right. you know it's very very difficult yeah yeah it was it was intense you know and the whole time the whole time i said to him i said listen i don't care where you drop me i don't care as long as i have a a, a clean bathroom and a nice bed dropped me anywhere. No bed, no bathroom. You know, <laughs> yeah. it, was, it, was, it was... Yeah, you were roughing it. Yeah, it was tough. So that, and I, it's fresh in my mind because I just watched it. 
So the first day, they're like I think you said in the show, they're walking seventeen hours a week to collect water. Yeah. Oh yeah. And plus, when they when we we get into Kampala, which you know, I mean, the bullet holes for when Idi Amin was running the place is still all over this all over the city. When they they brought me, and then we went like three hours into the the the. It's not the jungle; it's like the bush, but it's right. not the bush like like it's not the bush like it's Australia. Not thick, it's, yeah, yeah. It's, yeah. It's, it's it's a weird thing, and they these people that I w- was with for like five days because because they were over my house filming because they had to introduce me to a an international audience. Nobody knows who I am, so they had to kind of give a background and everything like that, and and I was with them. I was friendly with them. We get there. And they just walk away, like like almost like a like a mama bird pushes the baby bird out of the nest. Right. They just walked away, and I was and I was like, hey, what are you doing? They, you know, I don't know. If, are we filming this? Can you see? They're like not even looking at me. They're just filming, and I'm talking to them. They're not answering. Uh, you know, it was. Um, they're just leaving it to you. They're just leaving it to me. Yeah. Huh. So you really like there was no director in that show. It's really a lot. Dri- well, there was, but, but everything you. you see in that show is real. Right. That is written and, and and half the stuff they didn't even it's only an hour half yeah. the stuff they didn't even put in. Right. Right. Yeah. So regardless or anyways you, you're you're there and you it becomes evident that that the issue in this small little village is is clean water. Well, and the, the issue in a lot of Africa is water and what's unbelievable is they have plenty of water. It's 4 feet under the ground. They don't have the dough to to dig for it right so i i kind of adopted this village and i put in water i put in a school i put in all sorts of things um i just opened up bach medical i, okay. we, I opened a hospital what uh, where in uganda oh really yeah 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 in Wajinja. Awesome. yeah in that little yeah you can okay. go to you can go to uh, bachmedicalcenter.org and and, and look awesome. at it and then and i just had the queen of uh, uganda over my house no way yeah yeah she was over uh, three weeks ago yeah wow yeah wow so, so I really you, like it. I like yeah. the country. I like the village. Now we're now we're working on my guy, my on the ground guy, Derek. Okay. We're going to do uh, we're going to do an agricultural thing. We're looking for tracts of land, and and they're gonna they're gonna grow their own stuff because now that we have the water, right? You know, and it's funny over there. And listen, nothing against the Ugandan men. I like the Ugandan men, but they don't work. It's mm. all the women. The women are the responsible ones. Really? Yeah. Why yeah. do you think that is? It's just the culture. What, and what like that? I'm sure it wasn't the culture for all of time. What what changed? What I think it was the culture it? for all of time. Really? Yeah. Okay. I, I, you know, I you know, I'm just uh, I'm just observing. Giving sure. you my personal opinion. Please don't no, email no. you. Yeah, yeah, or yeah, whatever. Yeah, yeah. But you know, it's you know, it's you, you you. I mean, you go around the village and stuff. It's all guys hanging around. The women are home doing all the work. Interesting. So can people? Um, do you have a fund or can people donate to help you on these projects? Yeah, you can go to, you can go to, I mean, I'm on social, Ernie Bach Jr. Yep. on Instagram, on Facebook, on Twitter, you know? Yeah, yeah. So they'll find you. Okay. Yeah. 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 If you, yeah. So at the end of the show, you had built this killer water tower. Yeah. And everyone, there was wow. 35 water taps, yep, I remember. Yep. Spigots. Yeah. Spigots. Yep, okay. Yep. But the, but the mayor didn't have one close to his house. And that was real. The, right. ma- the mayor didn't have one close to the house, but what he did have is he had this giant tank of water in his backyard. Oh, this giant, I didn't see that. Oh, yeah, well, yeah, something they did. So he, <laughs> he had this giant thing, so he's so when he brings me to his house, like like 
they prepped me like as I'm walking through the door that the guy's upset. Oh, like, geez. you know, like as I'm walking through the door. So he's telling me he's running the place that I, who am I to say where the spigots are? He's the chief elder or something. And I'm like, listen, you know, I, I didn't pick where the spigots went. I left it up to, you know, the, the, the Derek and the, and the, and the people, yeah. but we got out of it. He's a nice guy. Okay, good. I mean, it seems just absurd to be upset about with this guy who just gave your whole village fresh water. Hey, you give an inch. <laughs> yep. Yeah, absolutely. So seeing that, um, you know, I guess being in that philanthropist space and seeing that, um, you know, that problem in Africa and Uganda, do you do anything uh, more, I guess, for poverty in the U.S.? Or do, yeah, you, see, well, do you see... Poverty, uh, you know, I, I, because it, because I try it, to give back in my own backyard. Right. You because, know, I've done a lot of projects. But I mean, so... I guess my question was seeing the absolute poverty in Uganda and then seeing the U.S., there's so many resources in the U.S. It seems more like there must be barriers instead of having to do good. It it must be, in my mind, it seems like it's more like removing barriers in the U.S. because there's so much wealth, you know, inches away. Right, right, right. But the Ugandan poverty is different. I, you know, I've, I haven't been everywhere in the world, but I've, been to a lot of places and each country has their own vibe like the the in india you know calcutta hmm. i mean calcutta makes uganda look like new york city really you know i mean it's yeah this it's just crazy intense insanity around the world and i'm just a little guy trying to do my best to help right wow so uh have you done all this You've been to a, a bunch of places all over the world, and is that just for pleasure? Is that yeah, for pleasure? I okay. mean, I you know when I'm when I travel, I try to be generous and you know do it. But Uganda was specific for that show. You know, yeah, well, yeah. I didn't know. I had no idea about the water. Right. You know when 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 I wanted water, and they pointed to the to the jerry cans, and they said, you know, four miles that way, and I get there, and it's completely completely contaminated and mm. and shit all over the place and dead animals floating i said whoa yeah yeah, yeah. No, 400 I... ugandans a day die of bad water 400 a day wow huh and uh, like are there uh, there must be other programs like your program trying to bring oh yeah yeah well i i i somehow through whatever I, there's a there's a company called Drop for Drop, okay. and they're the people I I use to help me navigate. You know, once I got my f- feet wet, you mm-hmm. know, and it's funny because I did um, when the show was all over and everything. I went to uh, I went to London to do promo, mm-hmm. and they said to me, they said, "Hey, the guy that owns Drop for Drop wants to." wants to um, have, uh, wants to meet you at the pub. Okay. And I go, oh, cool. Okay, excellent. So I get there and it's like this really big burly guy and everything like that. And we're talking and we're drinking that English beer. Like, you know, I mean, two of those things and you're three sheets to the wind. <laughs> and, and we were talking and everything. And he goes, hey, I'm going to be in Boston. I go, oh, cool. She, she, he, says, um, he says, my wife is playing there. And I go, oh, your wife is playing there. Good. What venue? She, and he says, he says Boston Garden. I go, I go, I get your wife is playing Boston. Who the hell is your wife? Adele. 
His wife is wow. Adele. So I think they're divorced now. But anyway, yeah, he, he, Simon <laughs> is the guy that started Drop for Drop. Really cool guy. Wow. Interesting. Interesting. So um, I guess going back to uh, something else that shows up on your Wikipedia page, you were a big Trump supporter in 2016. Well, well okay, okay. Or you're no, a prominent. No, I'm, not, look, I'm not defending. I'm not, I'm not going to sit here and coil back. But let me tell you something. When I was a kid in the 80s, Trump was the man. Oh, 100%. He was the yeah. man. Yeah. I mean, he was unbelievable. A little sideways here and there, but it was the 80s. Yep. And then, and then he said he was going to run for president. And, you know, people thought it was a joke. They right. thought it was a joke. But I'm a Republican. Yep. I believe in less government and lower taxes. Sure. Okay. Um, with all due respect... The gentleman. First of all, any president is my president. Mm. I don't sit there and go, he's not my. But anybody that's in the White House, he's my president. Got Do it. I agree with them? No, and I don't have to. Yep. But I'm not going to sit there and protest and everything like that. I'm going to go through the system. So, so I, I, you know, he said he was going to run for president. I'm like, oh wow, Trump president. That could be interesting. Business guy, you know, you know. Sure. And 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 I was. Um, I get a lot of my 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 because i'm out a lot i get a lot of my 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 news on my phone sure so you know i was watching the phone and seeing all this stuff about trump and then i go home and i'm having dinner turn on the tv it's trump right i change the channel it's trump right. i change the channel again it's trump i'm channel after channel after channel it's trump i go wow this guy this this might be it now in massachusetts we're like i don't know 90 percent democratic a republic they um uh, uh, uh reagan one in Massachusetts in 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 eighty four. Okay, like the only time a, a a Republican won Massachusetts. So I said to myself, all the Republican candidates, Massachusetts is a flyover. Right. It's it's they're not going to win. They don't go there. So I said, well, maybe I could get a small group of my friends hmm. together, invite Trump over, and and suss him out, see what he's see what he's doing, see you know see sure. what's up. So I said, how the hell am I going to get a hold of Trump? Right. So I called, I called my friend um, Howie Carr that has a radio show. Yep. And I said, Howie, I'm thinking of having Trump over my house just to kind of check it out, see if he's real. And he goes, here, call this guy. So one ring, I call up, and, I, and, and the guy says, hello. And I go, I go um, hi, you know, my name's Ernie Bach, and I get this number from Howie, and he said that, that maybe you could connect me to Trump because I'm in, a, I'm in a democratic state, and maybe he'll come by, talk to some people. And he says to me, hey, Ernie, how you doing? I go, I go are you from around here? Yeah. He goes, yeah, I live in New Hampshire. I go, ah! I go, Corey, this is great because then – then you know I didn't have to answer any questions. It was right, it was just easy. Yeah. So one thing led to another, and 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 I started planning this little thing, and then then I figured, well, I'll charge. I'll have ten people over my house. I'll charge them a couple hundred bucks, and mm. you know, do a little bit of a fundraiser. One thing led to another, and no one has had done a fundraiser for Trump. Oh. So so Corey tells him that I'm thinking of doing a fundraiser. So he calls me to his office in New York and and then I announced that you know I'm doing the first fundraiser and then Fox CNN boom 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 everybody in the world wants to come at 1200 people over my house helicopters CNN 
broadcasting from my backyard, <laughs> 102 press credentials in my front yard. Now, you know, I know how to throw a bash. So with the press credentials, I gave them all the good food and gave them their own bar. Right. I still talk to some of those people because we had such a, we had such good. a good time. So one thing led to another. He came over and then, you know, it was very successful. Sure. Uh, but I got a lot of crap from it you know a lot of crap because you know as it went everybody hates them and you know whatever he did win this but is and this is early on this, this is, is august of 15 right this is august you didn't of realize how much a, people hated it's him. a funny story because it because um when we did it we did it we we, we did the fundraiser and the next day i went to uganda oh. so it's almost like i I, I lit a match, threw it over my my shoulder, and the bridge burnt. <laughs> yeah. You know, because I had no idea on the backlash. I'm in the, you know, I'm in a hut in Uganda, not knowing that. <sighs> right. It's going crazy. But I got through it, and yep. And you know, like I said, I'm a, I'm like I consider myself a Reagan Republican. Sure. Small government, mm -hmm. small government, and and I to tell you the truth, I don't care what the Democrats any social programs because i'm socially liberal and fiscally conservative so if they want most people are if they want any program they want pay for it yep that's my issue right. pay for it just pay for it i'll anything you want pay for it i'll pay more taxes if if i know it's you know going to something right but anyway so yeah so that so you're you're a like a lifelong republican but i don't you know i'm i'm just putting myself in your shoes you don't you invite trump over you get to have a conversation with him. Oh my God! What did What did you learn from that? <laughs> this is what I learned from that. Okay, um, a New York real estate guy mm -hmm. from Manhattan became president. Mm -hmm. Now, if you go to any of the if you go to any of the steakhouses in Manhattan, there's a million Trumps there. They're all they're they're all at the bar, right? You know, he is he's he's a real estate guy from Manhattan. They're all like that. And all of a sudden, the country's like, oh, we've never seen anything like. We'll just go to go to Manhattan. You'll see a ton of them. Right. Do you think it was because he was outside of the whole oh, he, apparatus? Jeb the whole Bush system? was supposed to be president. Right. He blew up that whole system. The holes. He caught them sleeping, mm. and he won. Right. He won, and he and and he just. Is that why he was so demonized because he was yeah, uncontrollable? Yeah, he was uncontrollable, and and they it was their party, and right. he threw him out, made it his party. Right? Did you catch? So you come back from Uganda, oh. and the the bridge is burning. Oh, the bridge is burning. <laughs> Did you get a bunch of flack from? Flack? I get death threats. Really? Oh my God! I'll never do business with you. You? I still get them. If if I do anything, if I do, I did a I did a thing. Um, I did a thing. Um. April Fuels Day, right? Where I gave away seven thousand gallons of gas when gas was rising up and everything like that. And you know, I I thought it was a good gesture trying to help people out. And it's funny if you see anything right now on social and I do something, it's like, oh, Ernie, that was great. We love it. But then pretty soon, you suck. Trump sucks, <laughs> and it just goes all downhill. Right. Right. The April Fools, fuels. April Fuels. So it was like all over the news, right? Yeah, so yeah. you gave away free fuel all day. Seven thousand gallons of gas. Wow. Yeah. How big? Like how big a mess was that? How well, big was the lineup? I told the you know I told the police we did it was fine, but but listen to this, ready? Thanksgiving. 
That's what you're doing next? Thanksgiving. Think Fu- about free that. fuel? Oh, think about that. Thanksgiving. You're going to have tankers? No. Tank, you know. <laughs> yeah, I know. I know. Thanksgiving, yeah. That's awesome. That's awesome. Do you have any other big um, big plans philanthropically? Uh, well, I bought an island. I bought, oh. a, I bought an island um, recently. I just bought it. Where it, is it? It's um, off the coast of Massachusetts. Okay. Like Not like off the coast, like. 350 feet off the coast. Okay, it's, got, okay. it's got a bridge and everything. So so I'm going to come up with something cool for How that. big is it? Uh, 4.25 acres. Okay. And, and don't you, do you guys talk hectares here? No, no, we talk acres. Okay. We talk acres. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> kilometers. We we still yeah. miles, we still get yeah, it. Yeah, cuz on the nav girl was talking kilometers on the way here. Right. And and I was asking the driver uh what the temperature was, and he goes, "Oh, tomorrow will be in the twenties." You know, like we, yeah. that's not. What do you what mean? <laughs> yeah, we don't we don't do that. I didn't pack my winter jacket. Yeah. Right. So I, I think I was telling you before. So looking looking at at uh, Ernie Bach commercials. Ugh. These are awesome, Mitch. Mitch, do you have one? Can you pull one up. No, no, no. Here you go. A little disclaimer. Okay. I mean, you know, I mean that was that. Uh, it, 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 they worked. I mean, you know, and I, you know, I ha- have a good business, but it's kind of like when you look back at your high school picture. Well, I'm talking the, I'm talking the vintage ones. Yeah, that's what I'm yeah, talking okay, about. Okay. Like when you look back at the your, your high school picture and you go, "What the hell was I thinking?" You know what's funny about me is like I'll look at a picture that I took yesterday and go, "What the hell was I thinking?" <laughs> you know? Oh, we all change. These. Like, oh, what are you going to... Pl- oh, no, that's my father. Yes, yes. Yeah. That's what I'm talking about. That's my about. father. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Were these er- like early... 64. Ad- See, the thing about it is my father... My father was kind of a, 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 a folk hero in New England because he was one of the first guys on TV to promote his own business. This is 1964. Yeah. There were only like three channels. And right. if you were on... The mere fact that you were on TV was amazing. And he did a hell of a job. So he was an early adopter of television commercials. He was an early adopter of uh, owning and promoting your business. Interesting. Yes. So do you th- do you attribute a lot of his success to that? Absolutely. I mean, he he took a, he took a business from nothing and made it a multi million dollar business. So that's like getting on Google early. Exactly. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Wow. And this particular one, see, if you're not from around here, you don't get it. When this came out in 1966, you had kids taking hammers from their father's tool and smashing doors, door windows, other windows. Because yeah, Ernie, because Ernie Sr. Yeah. did it. Yeah. <laughs> no way. Because this had to have, like I'm watching this, right? And I'm, one, I'm thinking, okay, this is a very early car commercial. Right, yeah. And two, this is like the blueprint for all the crazy car commercials that came right. after. But if you look at it, if play it again, if you look at it, he's challenging other dealers with a hammer in his hand. Yeah. You yeah. know what I mean? I mean, it's amazing. That's yeah. amazing. So now, so he was an early adopter of this and he did these commercials and it looks like they were a lot of fun. Yeah. You do uh, some TV stuff. Well, well, uh, <laughs> My father would, my father, you know, let me tell you, I learned everything I know about business from my father. Great man, you know, wish he was still here. I miss him every day. Right. But, That's but, good, Mitch, thanks. Yeah, but, but the thing is, is that, that he would make a commercial and run it for like 
five years. Right. You know what I mean? Just yeah. run it for five years. So, you know, you'd be looking at the cars, go, wait a second, that car's five years old. <laughs> thing. So when I took over, I, I, at first when I took over, I was doing a commercial in the showroom every month. Really? Every month. It was, uh, I don't even know how I, I don't even know how I did it. Now it's all, um, it's all um, graphics and voiceovers. Right. Factory running footage, which I don't pay for. Right. The graphics and then voiceover. Right. Right. So, um, so you do all those commercials, you do, uh, you do a cartoon. Well, I have these, I have these, well, I'm friends with this gentleman that, that has a company in Boston called Fable Vision. Okay. And he's kind of a, he's, his big book was The Dot. As a matter of fact, he's illustrating and working with Cat Stevens for his new album cover. I don't know if you're a Cat Stevens fan. No, not really. No, see, I love that stuff. That was the first show I ever went to. Okay. But anyway, so I'm working with Peter Reynolds and I do these little 15 and 30, they're not commercials. They're, they're kind of. Um, see, I have kids. Mm-hmm. They're kind of, and, and I believe in PBS, mm. you know, public, yep, yep. Uh, uh, public uh, service television. And, um, and I wanted to go on PBS, but I didn't want to be just like, you know, this is brought to you by blah, blah, blah. And it's, it's pretty dry. PBS is pretty dry. It although, is, yeah. Although I do love Nova and Masterpiece Theater okay. and, um, and uh, that antique show. But anyway. So I wanted to do something a little different. I wanted to I wanted to go on PBS. I wanted to talk to the kids, and I wanted to I wanted to um, use the resources that my friend had with animation. Right. So I first started the ki- the kids were live in an animated world, mm. and then that's you know you know the old never work with animals or kids. You know, <laughs> it was a nightmare. They're crying and everything. And so, so I said, the hell with that. So I, so I just animated everybody. And now my kids are, my kids are, you know, 20, but in the cartoons, they're like 10 and 11 and they will stay that way. Look at Bart Simpsons. He's 35. Right. Right. That's cool. That's cool. Hmm. So, I've, uh, I've seen a video of the uh, I guess it's the architect put it out of your house and the interior of your house. And it's a cool deal, like done up. It, it, they were showing it like it was all, like, like looks like India. Oh, that's 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 my lounge. That's your lounge. That's my lounge. So it's not your whole house. No, no. I've, oh. I have. Um, I bought a house. I bought a. Um, I bought a. I've had two houses my whole life. I bought my first house in 1987. Okay. And then ten years later, I moved to my current house. I moved to my current house um, April 1st. 1997. Okay. And you go, Ernie, how do you remember that day? Well, around my neck of the woods, we that was what they called and is still referred to today as the April Fool's snowstorm. April 1st, 1997, we got three feet of snow. Holy Three cow. feet of snow in one dumping. And that's the day I moved into my house. <laughs> so I moved into the house and the house was, uh, it's the last privately owned Endicott house. Around my area, we had the Endicott family. They had Endicott Johnson shoes. They work with Bird as one of the first developers of, uh, of uh, shingles. Mm. Uh, what do you call the, the stuff on the road with the shingles? What do they call it? Asphalt, asphalt. asphalt yeah, sh- yeah. shingles. Yep. So a very prominent business guy. And, and it was the house was built in 28, and it was on 500 acres, spanned three towns, and it was Endicott Farms. They had apples, they had cows. I mean, I, every time I dig up anything, I find I find milk bottles with Endicott Farms on it and everything. And um, when I moved in, it was um, less than two acres. 
So I bought the 17 houses that surround my house, and now it's 7.9 acres. So I have a nice little, I didn't bring it back to its original glory, sure. but, I, but I did. So the seven structures on, and that, the one you're talking about is, is the, uh, I call it the lounge. Okay. And that first, that came, the first house of blues, do you know the house of blues? Sure. The house of blues, the first house of blues was in Cambridge, Massachusetts. Okay. And I think the second one was in LA and we, we didn't have a foundation room like they have now. And I went to, I think I went to, I think Aerosmith opened up the house of blues and I went there and I saw the foundation room at the house of blues in LA and it just floored me. So I had a space in one of my garages and I tracked down that guy that, that did it, and I sent him to India for three weeks to buy all this crazy stuff. He took a picture of his head. Do you want this? Do you want that? I got a big pile of the stuff here, and then we put it all together, and that's the room we came up with. Cool. Yeah. Cool. So I don't know if you took a hiatus from music at all when you were kind of you know, really up to your elbows I did. In, in the dealership. I, did. I didn't play for years. Right. For years. But now you're in a band. Well, what happened was is I was I was I call it hitting it hard. You know, I had really short hair, wearing suits for 14 hours. Yeah. And I was I was uh, again at, at work, and my 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 assistant said, "Hey, somebody, some the news is on the phone. They want you to do something." And they were they they had an opportunity. They were taking kind of well-known people around Boston that they thought had musical talent and play with the Boston Pops. Okay. A night of the Boston Pops. So they called me up and they said, do you want to play with the Pops? And the first thing out of my mouth was, yes. I hadn't played for 10 years. Right. And I said, yes. And, and, you know, and then I hung up and I go, oh, shit, I got to play with the <laughs> Pops. So wouldn't you know, my very good friend, John Finn, is the guitar player for the Pops. Okay. So he kind of helped me out and helped me through it. And, right. and uh, Keith Lockhart, you know, he's, uh, he runs Pops. Now, okay. I know Keith, so I'm not talking out of school. He's tough. You know, those conductors, they're tough. Right. They're tough. I mean, they're tough. So I was, I was just his reputation, I was afraid. And, and then, they, they, you know, we went to Symphony Hall to rehearse, and people would get up, and they'd get one time through the song whether they effed it up or whatever, one time ah. through the song. So I'm seeing all these people crash and burn, and I'm going, oh, crap. So I get up there, and I, you know, I think I barely made it through. And then, you know, the next day was the performance, and I played with the Boston Pops at Symphony Hall. That kind of got me going again, and then mm. I started playing again. Right. So you're, you've got a band now. No, I used to have a band. You used to have a band. I used to have a band. Okay. And it was Ernie and the Automatics. Yes, begrudgingly. Begrudgingly, it was Ernie and the okay. Automatics. Okay. Yeah. And you're playing with some some guys who played in the band Boston. Yeah. Am I correct in that? Oh yeah, 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 yeah. How yeah. did that all come about? Uh, well, what happened was is is I, I play with the pop, so I stop playing. I get the you know I get the fire again. I'm I'm playing. Yeah. I, I have a friend Jeff Myro. If Jeff ever hears this, he's gonna love that I met Jeff Myro. Okay. So Jeff Myro had a friend Sibby Hashin, who's the drummer for the the original drummer for the multi platinum selling band Boston. Right. And he said, hey. Ernie, you play, Sibby plays, you guys should play together. I go, listen, let's, you know, let's see, I sold zero million records and Sibby sold like 50 million. <laughs> no, I'm not playing with Sibby. So all of a sudden, Sibby started, you know, I started hanging out with him and he starts calling me, come on, we got to play, we got to play. And I told him no for like six months. And then finally, finally, him and I played. And it, you know, it kind of sounded 
pretty cool. And he said, he said, he said, wow, this sounds good. I sh- we should get, um, uh, l- let me ask my friend Barry if he wants to play with us. Barry, Barry Goudreau, the guitar player for the multi-platinum selling band Boston. Yeah. So now I, now I have Sibby and Barry and me. And Barry and Sibby are like, we need a bass player. Let's ask Archibald. Tim Archibald, the most the most coveted bass player in Boston that does all the all the studio work and everything like that. So now we get we got that and then oh we need a we need a we need a sax player. Let's get tunes. Tunes from the John Cafferty Beaver Brown band, the movie Eddie and the Cruisers. Wow. Oh, and then we need a singer. Oh, why don't we ask Brian? Brian Mays from, from um, you know, all these other crazy bands, Peter Wolf's uh, House Party 5 and all this. So everybody in the band sold millions of records except for me. Right. And then, and then we kind of, but we did it as fun. It kind of just happened. We didn't, and we came up with the name of the band. Sibby and I, we used, to, we used to drink wine and watch movies together over the phone. <laughs> I know. I know that, you're a good friend. Yeah. So we yeah. would drink. We'd drink wine, watch movies, this and that. We liked all these crazy, weird horror movies. Right. And and Sibby's like, we need a name for the band. And I'm like, okay. And I started going. He goes, no, no, your name has to be in it. I go, no, 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 no. My name is not going to be in it. So we. So I had a piece of paper, and we're writing down all these names. And we're drinking and this and that. And and I, and I fell asleep. I woke up with the phone by my side, the wine done at uh, uh, at the <laughs> table, and a list of all these names with one circled, Ernie and the Automatics, Sibby wanted to name the band Ernie and the Automatics and that's how it became Ernie and the Automatics. Wow. So so then people kind of, you know, um, you know, kind of knew I had a band so our first call was to open up for BB King. Wow. First first gig. I've never played a theater in my life and I hadn't played, you know, except for rehearsals for 10 years. Yeah. So one thing led to another and we ended up we ended up going on the road. The last tour we did, we we um we toured North America with Deep Purple. We started in Canada. Really? Yeah, yeah. We came down Canada, then went down the East Coast, over to the Chicago, and everything down south, over to Vegas, up to, up to California. Yeah. It's funny when you put that in your mind, you know, as a young man trying yeah. to make it in a band, and then. Well, my jo- my my goal, when this whole thing and we started opening up for like my idols i mean we were opening up everybody like every rock guy that came to boston we were opening up for in really cool venues and my 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 uh, then i said well shit i've always wanted to p- play theaters so my goal i'm a i'm a battle winner sure i'm not like i like to win battles to win the war mm. like i wouldn't like if i was a war i wouldn't like nuke the competition i would win the battles and 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 get there and and I wanted to I wanted to bring the band across the country in theaters, and that's what we did. That's cool. That's cool. Yeah, like I was saying, like it's you know, be careful what you wish for because you might get it, but the timing might be different than you anticipated. Right, and then and then there's nine of us on a bus. Yep. Nine of us on a bus. We're all like fifty <laughs> on a bus, including the crew and everything. And you know, and and we're going and you know, and Deep Purple is staying at the Four Seasons and stuff. And we're at the we're at the. I learned something which I didn't even know. There's the Holiday Inn, right? Okay. And then there's the Garden Inn. And then there's the something else in. It goes all the way down to like $29 a night. Really? That's, I didn't you know, know that. so we're pulling into these cities and passing the four seasons. I'm like crying and ending up at the <laughs> Garden Inn. <laughs> oh, that's good. To, uh, to jump back to your uh, 
your your killer property. I saw a video where you had you had built a mausoleum on yeah. your property. Yes, yes, yes. And you you held like a seance there. You know what's funny? You know what's funny? Yeah, well I held I held the seance live on the radio. So okay. Some rock station wanted to do it. My actually a very good rock station. My yeah, yeah. I, I love rock. Yeah. Um some friends of mine are the morning morning DJ and they you know, and they know I had a mausoleum. They said, Let's do a seance on the radio, it'll be fun. And then um, I did their morning show just the other day because they wanted me on because I bought the island. Okay. And they informed me that in that seance, the the girl, the seance lady, said that I'd be buying an island. Really? And I'm like, I don't remember that. And they go, oh, yeah, we remember that. We remember that. So isn't that crazy? That is weird. Uh. Are you into into the occult? Uh, well, you make that sound bad. <laughs> well, that, I mean, I, I guess that's. <laughs> but technical. no, I believe in energy. Sure, I believe in energy. I I think that uh, you know, you know, we're going out into, you know, there's something crazy out there, right? Beyond us, absolutely, right? Do you do you follow any religions or well, just I spirituality? Up, I was brought up Roman Catholic. Sure, I was brought up Roman Catholic, and I. Uh, yeah, I I believe, you know, that you should be good to your fellow man and I believe in karma, you know, mm. and I believe in living a good life, you know. So you've picked have you picked up things kind of along the way through your travels, different different religions, different cultures, different uh, ways of thinking. I spent a lot of time in India in yeah. ashrams and stuff like that, yeah. Right. So do you, I I like um I mean, I I like a lot of the the way they, you know, Indian culture thinks yeah. of that stuff. Yeah, it's very cool. Yeah. Very, very cool. Plus, when you go over there, it's just, <laughs> it's such a shit show. Yeah. Oh, my God. It's yeah. crazy. Yeah. No, I, and particularly, um, you know, kind of karma yoga. Yeah. Yeah. Really just using yeah. using your daily life to. Yeah. And uh, Eckhart Tolle. Sure. I have, I have two theaters in Boston called the Box Center. One's a 35-seater and one's a 15-seater. And we just had Eckhart Tolle. Really? At, at my theater, yeah. Wow. He was probably one of the first guys I listened to on a CD that kind of got me interested in that. that you type really of... have to listen to him because I yeah. tried to listen to him for years, mm. and he's such a he's such a quiet talker, and he's and you know. But then it's like, you know, he's funny. Mm-hmm. The guy is funny. Yeah, and you wouldn't describe a guy like that as being funny, right? You know what I mean? But yeah, he's he's amazing, amazing. Right. Well, I think I've, I think there's a quote, I'm, I have no idea who said it, but, you know, run, you know, as far as in the spiritual game, run from anyone who doesn't have a sense of humor. Yeah. You know, anyone yeah. who takes themselves too seriously. a lot of people seriously. that don't have a sense of humor. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, someone like Ram Dass would be easier to listen to. Yeah. Here See, I'm not, I'm not that familiar okay. with, with the people. He's a good like, Boston boy. Is he? Yeah. Really? Yeah. From Boston? Yeah. Oh, check him out. Yeah. Oh, wow. absolutely. Cool. You'd, okay, so if I, I'll give you a brief history you'd you'd you might recognize him so he was richard alpert um professor at um at harvard with tim leary oh and they both got fired together for the same for the same reason craziness well he actually got fired and tim leary left oh yeah and then they went on the whole yeah the whole ride together i don't don't really i'm not like super familiar with your audience but if you don't know who timothy leary is check it out yeah yeah i know absolutely (laughs) absolutely um, man, I mean, that's, that's pretty much all I have for you. I really appreciate you taking the no, time. Thank, thanks for coming. I so enjoy coming up here. The vehicles are just, I mean, you have two, two 
uh, Ferrari 288s. Two! Yeah. You're lucky to see one in your lifetime. You have two here. Oh, we get spoiled and I get desensitized here. It's crazy. Absolutely. Absolutely crazy. And you got a... uh, uh, Pantera uh, Mangusta. Yeah, I just bought one. Yeah, Di Tommaso yeah, Mangusta. Yeah, 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 yeah. I just bought one. It's it's being restored. They're good, good, cool cars. They're, They're super cool. You see them way less than a Pantera. Never yeah. see them. Yeah, you never. See. I was just out in Pebble Beach. The Panteras. They were like they were like McDonald's cheeseburgers. They were everywhere. Yeah, yeah. Well, they're such a good looking car. They are a good looking car. Yeah. Yeah. Well, was, and they used to be a dime a dozen and, yeah. and, you know, 25 grand all day long. Yeah. 15. I remember 15 and 25. Now a nice one is over a hundred. Yeah. Yeah. Crazy. Absolutely. Anything, uh, anything else you want to tell the audience or make announcements or tell them where they can find you? Yeah. I mean, you can check me out at all the socials, Ernie Bach Jr. I'm on, I'm on Instagram. I'm on Facebook. There's, I have this, there's the public Facebook and my private Facebook. When I first signed up with Facebook, nobody told me you can only have 5,000 friends. Nobody <laughs> told me that. Right. So, you know, so now I have a public Facebook also and um you know instagram is cool twitter's a rock fight every day yeah every are, you, are you day, in there throwing right? rocks oh well i'm not throwing rocks i'm ducking <laughs> but it is a rock fight every day i like it i think it's exciting yeah no yeah. absolutely i just got on uh twitter as a, yeah. like a kind of yeah, a spectator good. yeah oh that's good well anyways i appreciate you coming on we should oh, go for th- dinner thanks for having me all righty all right thank you thanks man